Welcome to the Michigan Minds Podcast, a quick and informative analysis of today's top issues from University of Michigan faculty. Thank you so much for joining Michigan Minds. I'm really excited to talk with you today. So can you start by introducing yourself and sharing a little bit about your role at the University of Michigan? Sure. Thank you so much for having me. My name is Sri Johnson. Um, I was a student here at, at Michigan. I, I did my um, MD and PhD here. Um, and now I'm a faculty member doing research on stress and depression. Uh, I'm also a psychiatrist um, seeing patients, and I'm the director of the Eisenberg Family Depression Center at the University of Michigan. Thank you. And can you tell us a little bit more about your research? Sure. My own personal research is, as I mentioned, trying to understand stress and how it gets under the skin and affects our risk for depression, anxiety, um, and a whole host of other problems. A lot of my work has focused on this specific population of uh, training doctors, uh, uh, residents, first-year residents are, are called interns, and um, intern years is known in medicine as a, as a very stressful year. This is the first time doctors have real um, clinical responsibilities. They're often working really long hours, not sleeping enough, and the rates of depression go way up um, about sixfold as they start the year. And so we've been studying this group for, for 16, 17 years now, ever, ever since I was an intern um, and, and gone in a few different directions. Uh, the hope is that, that studying this group will, will not only help training doctors, but this is a relatively unusual population where we know that there's a group that's relatively um, healthy, um, but then will experience a major stress. And, and so we can follow them as they go through the stress and hopefully understand more broadly um, how stress affects us and how different people react to that stress in, in with depression, um, anxiety, or, or other problems. Thank you. Data from the intern health study based at the Michigan Neuroscience Institute and the Eisenberg Family Depression Center demonstrated how the more hours someone works each week in a stressful job, the more their risk of depression rises. Can you tell us more about this research and the relationship between hours work and risk of depression? Yeah, I'd be happy to. I, I think broadly what we're interested in is trying to understand the primary drivers of depression, poor mental health in, in different populations. And in our work and others, one of the uh, factors that most strongly associates with depression is, is hours. And, and particularly long working hours. So in the study that we did last year, we actually used sort of a relatively new statistical technique um, where you can emulate or, or mimic a clinical trial through observational data like we have in the intern health study. Um, in doing that, um, see what people's depression would be like if you actually assign them to work 30 hours, 40 hours, 60 hours, 100 hours in a week. And we found a really strong relationship between hours and depression. And, and um, in internship, people are working long hours and those working 90 hours a week um, had about three times the depression increases as folks working 40 to 50 hours a week. And we saw the relationship between hours and, and depression hold um, across the spectrum of hours from, from 25 hours all the way up to 100 hours a week. So this indicates that um, in this population, that work hours are, are 
an important driver and probably the most important driver of depression. And if we can reduce the work hours, um, we likely will reduce depression. Um, I think work hours are probably an important factor in, in other high stress professions as well and, and can be a target. Um, but this, I'd like to think, um, shows the value of understanding the specific drivers in each um, population and then targeting them to, to improve mental health um, in that group. Thank you. A recent study you co-authored published by the American Journal of Psychiatry examined how social support received during stressful times can ease the impact of genetic depression risk. Can you share more about this study and discuss a few key findings? I would be happy to. Depression, like many other complex disorders, has a, a, a genetic component. About 30 to 40% of the risk for depression is, is inherited. And in the last maybe five to seven years, we finally, as a field, started to make progress in, in identifying the specific genetics underlying depression. It, it isn't one gene or two genes or, or three genes. It's, it looks like it's thousands of different genetic variations um, spread out across our genome, each one having a, a really small effect, but collectively um, having a, a relatively large effect on, on our risk for depression. And this, this paper is trying to understand how that, uh, the mechanism of how that genetic risk um, gets through to, to affecting how, how we feel and our mood and, and uh, our risk for depression. One of the big environmental factors that's that plays a role in depression is social support. Um, broadly, we know the importance of social connection in our day-to-day -day functioning. Um, the Surgeon General's office just released a, a report this week um, about the epidemic of loneliness in our society and the importance of, of social connection. And, and that's true in, in, in physicians and, and in our population. In this study, people who lost social support overall got more depressed what we found was um, an interaction between the genetic risk, and here we used what's called a polygenic risk score, sort of a, adding up across the whole genome for your depression risk. Um, and we saw in conditions of, of poor social support, when um, people lost a lot of social support, the, the relationship that we would expect, that people at high polygenic risk for depression um, were much more depressed and had many more depressive symptoms than people with a low polygenic risk score for depression. Um, but as we went across the, the spectrum and looked at in, in situations where people actually gained social support and, and were in, in healthier social environments, we saw the opposite. People who had a high score on this um, polygenic risk index um, were actually doing better and were significantly less depressed than people with a low polygenic risk score. Um, so it seemed to show that that what um, the field had developed as a as a risk for depression might actually not be that, but might be more of a uh, an index of how sensitive you are to the social environment. And the people who who struggle the most in in poor social environments actually thrive the most in good social environments. And 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 people with this polygenic risk score might benefit from prioritizing social connection um, uh, in their lives, at, at least in, in terms of their mental health. And, and it shows how we, there's individual variation, in how we respond to different, different stressors. Thank you. And I wanted to talk to you a little bit about the Eisenberg Family Depression Center. As director, can you tell us about the research and work of the center? I, I, I'd love to. Um, 
so the the Eisenberg Family Depression Center has been uh, around at Michigan for over 20 years now. And really, the goal is to try to catalyze innovations and breakthroughs that really allow us to make major progress in in fighting depression and and doing it in 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 many different ways. One is trying to identify and help uh, promising research projects get off the ground through providing funds and bringing people together. The the intern study that I've talked about a little bit benefited a lot from it came out of the Eisenberg Family Depression Center when I was a you know student and an early faculty member and and there's been um, dozens of others really really important studies that have come out of the center. Um, for breakthroughs in in fields as complicated as depression and and these sorts of thorny problems, uh, breakthroughs almost always come from the intersections of fields and bringing people together across disciplines. Um, and so the the depression center is really um, committed to doing that. Um, there's people from all schools at Michigan and and dozens of different departments um, who are interested in depression and have real value in, in helping to understand what's going on and, and make the discoveries that we need to improve the, the conditions and, and reduce the, the terrible burden that mental health problems are, are taking on, um, on all of us from middle school and high school students through um, our, our students here at Michigan, in the workplace, um, older adults, and in, in all kinds of different um, situations. So we, we have uh, core facilities that help bring people together that that help promote specific types of research that we think are most promising. One of those areas is, is projects using mobile technology, uh, others using really big and, and promising data sets that, um, that could help us make uh, major advances and in areas that we think are really important, like school and college mental health, prevention or depression. Uh, and and hopefully through these efforts can can help make a real change and and make real progress. Thank you. During the month of May, we recognize and celebrate Mental Health Awareness Month. Can you share with us your perspective on this month and what we should be focusing on when reflecting on our well-being? It's it's a really great opportunity for us to to really recognize and and um, think about our mental health and well-being and prioritize taking care of ourselves. As some of the work I've talked about, we know a lot about things like social support um, and other factors that are critical in in maintaining our wellness. And there's other factors that are also important and, and equally or more important, like uh, sleep and getting um, adequate sleep and consistent sleep and um, exercise and avoiding work stress and eating healthy. And and as as some of the work that's come out of the center has has shown. Um, we each respond differently, and 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 each of these different uh, factors has has a, a different sort of effect on each of us. So, really taking the time to understand what the most important factors are for your own well-being and mental health, and and prioritizing that has real value. It's also a real opportunity to to, to talk um, amongst ourselves about um, mental health and and share with others if we're struggling and helping others who who might seem to be struggling. And we should be doing that all the time. And this is a, a great reminder to do that and do that more. And, and often great conversations really come from reaching out, even if it seems awkward or uncomfortable at first. Thank you. And do you have any supportive or educational resources you would like to share? There's a lot of great resources um, out there. 
on our website uh, at the depressioncenter.org. There's a lot of great information and specifically a depression uh, toolkit that has incredible uh, information on self-help and getting help and 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 some of the the factors that that I've talked about in in maintaining well-being and uh, making sure that we're prioritizing our our mental health. Wonderful. Thank you. And as the podcast comes to a close, we like to ask our faculty experts one thing you hope listeners remember from our conversation today. Thank you. I think um, maybe a couple of things that maybe most importantly, remembering that that we're not, none of us are alone in, in, in feeling it, particularly if you're struggling, it, it's hard to remember, but important to remember how many others are struggling too. And, and that you should really feel empowered to reach out for help from those around you and, and, and professional help um, if needed. And there's so many resources out there and, and um, so many people that care about all of us that it's hard to remember that in, in times of crisis. And the flip side of, of if you notice someone around you struggling, really do feel empowered to, to reach out and, and talk, talk with them. And, and uh, we don't often know how much we help people by reaching out and having those conversations. I think the other sort of major point is, is really to prioritize our mental health, not only in times of crisis, but also in times of relative calm, that we, we can do so much to help ourselves and those around us by prioritizing broad things like we've talked about, like social connection and sleep and uh, physical activity, and uh, also figuring out what the most important of those factors are or, or other factors are for our own mental health, and then making sure that we make time for that every day. It, it, it's important for, for us individually and, and for our friends and family, and we can do so much good by by doing that. So I think those were the major points I, I, I wanted to emphasize. Thank you so much. It has been an absolute honor to talk with you today and learn from you. So thank you for taking the time to join us. Thanks so much for, um, for inviting me and for having this great conversation. Thank you for listening to the Michigan Minds podcast, a production of the University of Michigan. Join the conversation on social media with hashtag UMichImpact.